This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. Hey there, it's Dr. Kieran, and welcome to episode 78 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I am going to share a Facebook Live I did for my Language Therapy Advanced Foundations members about the stages of clinical leadership. Now, the reason that I'm talking about this is because what I have noticed from having mentored clinicians over the course of the last five years or so is that many clinicians, and this is true for a lot of the SLPs, but it's true for other disciplines as well. So this definitely doesn't just apply to SLPs. But what I've noticed is that what a lot of people focus on when they first start their careers is they're very focused on what they should be doing in therapy. So obviously, they're working on skills that will be relevant to their specific discipline. They're trying to get comfortable in therapy. But what I've noticed is that once people kind of get their feet under them, then many of them start to kind of want more for themselves, for their careers, for their clients. And I've experienced this firsthand. I know that a lot of other people experience this firsthand. They feel a little boxed in by the traditional clinical model, whether it be they feel boxed in and the way that they are have to provide services for their clients and they feel like they can't really make as big of an impact as they would want because of just how things work in the system, or whether they feel boxed in from a lifestyle standpoint of the schedule that they have to work or the the commute that they have, the income that they're able to generate. 
So the traditional career path doesn't quite feel right for them, and they're not quite sure how to work around this. I actually did a lot of career exploration myself from the time that I started in the schools, and I really ramped it up, obviously, towards the end of my time in the schools when I transitioned out because I had finished my doctorate and I knew that it was time for a transition. But I've developed these stages of clinical leadership because really they are the stages that I see clinicians going through. And what this is really about is it's partially about career development you know, being able to have flexibility in the way that you provide services and not necessarily feeling like you're limited by the traditional career path and what is on the job boards. And it's not that I think that traditional clinical jobs are bad. I know that a lot of clinicians that I know might have, you know, they might be partially employed and then they might do something self-employed on the side. They might have a hybrid of things. You know, maybe they're working in a school and then they have some kind of consulting business on the side. What I encourage people to do is think flexibly about the way that they provide services. So really this discussion today is about the stages and the way that you want to shift your thinking so that you can be able to do that. Part of this is about your career development. You know, what is the next stage of your career? How do you want to show up to serve? Who do you want to serve? What's your mission? And what do you stand for? Are there things that you don't like about the system and the way that you have to provide services that you'd like to be different? And would you like more freedom and flexibility? Many times people feel like they have to take a huge risk in order to do that. I'm here to tell you that you don't have to take a huge risk in order to explore other career options. So that's why I wanted to introduce this discussion today about really the way that you can start to change your thinking so that you can think flexibly and creatively about the way that you can provide services both now and the position that you're currently in so that you can make a bigger impact, but also so that you can think bigger about what's possible for you in your career so that you can feel more fulfilled in your work. So Before I get going on the main part of this episode, I wanted to mention that I'm actually going to be walking people through this process in an ongoing live event called the Clinical Leadership Roundtable. The Clinical Leadership Roundtable is an ongoing live event where I walk clinicians through a three-stage process of self-discovery to help them to identify their key talents assets, their passions, and how they like to work so that they can map out the next stage in their career path. And what I help them do is I use a process of self-reflection to help them get really clear on what they want to do, how they want to work, who they want to serve, what their skills are. And then I help them match that up to a couple possibilities so that they can map out a couple potential new career paths and then create a series of micro experiments to do a couple different things. Number one, to help them do some test runs and explore some different things that they might like so that they can figure out what next career path is right for them and so that they can start to create a portfolio of experience that they can use to sell themselves to advance to that next stage in their career. And then finally, what these little micro experiments do, aside from just launching the next stage of your career, it also makes a bigger impact on the clients that you might be working with now. So it's really a win for everybody. 
So if you are a pediatric therapist, like an SLP, an OT, a social worker, a psychologist, a music therapist, or any other type of specialized service provider, and you love the work that you do, but you sometimes feel limited in the way that you provide your services, and you've wondered if there is something more out there for you, for your career, and the way that you serve, and Maybe you don't know what the next step is. Maybe you have a ton of ideas about services and products or career directions that you'd like to pursue, or maybe you just are overwhelmed and don't know where to start. If that sounds like you, if you know that you can make a bigger difference, then definitely join us in the Clinical Leadership Roundtable. I will help you to get some clarity so you can map out that next stage in your career path. To join the Clinical Leadership Roundtable and go through this interactive three-stage process, just go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash Leadership Roundtable. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash Leadership Roundtable, and you'll get all the details to guide you through the event. So now let's talk about the stages of clinical leadership and the pillars for success. to talk about today is what I refer to as the the stages or kind of the process of clinical leadership. I've been talking about this whole concept of leadership um, really a lot the last month or so, um, more in my free information. And the reason that I'm doing that is because I am creating a new program for clinicians who want to map out the next stage of their career. And this is not going to be just open to speech pathologists. It is going to be open to other clinicians like social workers, psychologists, OTs, and other related disciplines. And I wanted to talk about it today because I think that, um, obviously, I think that some of you in here might be interested in joining the new program. Some of you might be also members of SLP Learning Academy, which is basically anybody who's in SLP Learning Academy is going to be transitioned over to the new program, and it's going to get access. And also, I think that a lot of people in here who are, you know, you've gotten a good uh, handle on one of the more difficult clinical areas for SLPs, a lot of times when people get to that point, they want to think about, all right, what's, what's another way that I can make a bigger impact on my caseload and with my skills? So I wanted to talk a little bit about my thought process in how I've designed this program and how you can really be successful in here, as well as the new program and what's going to be included in it, this, because I think that some of you might be interested in, in joining that program. So um, I have addressed, yeah, I did do some extra Q&As this summer. So I, I've addressed a lot of the clinical questions that typically come up in here. Um, if you have any questions, you can always start a new thread in here. But um, I wanted to kind of talk over my screen really quickly. Um, there was really one really good resource that was shared in here. There was, um, Lori shared this group. Um, I guess it's a free resource for working on morphology that is in um, the Can Do Kids Academy. So... Um, This is shared from the Speech Pathologist Role in Language and Literacy Group, which is a great Facebook group. 
um, if you are not already a member. So definitely check out that group and check out that link in the group if you have not already. It's Can Do Kids, and I guess they've got some good morphology resources. So that's just one really quick thing I wanted to share before I get into the meat of today. Okay, let me share my other screen for a second here. Where's my image? Here we go. Okay. All right. So these are the pillars for success in the School of Clinical Leadership, which is the new program that I'm going to be opening up in just a couple of weeks here. So the School of Clinical Leadership is a program. Um, it, it is a subscription program, but it is the, the purpose of this is to help clinicians to map out their next career move, um, to figure out where they're going in their career, what is the next stage, how can they be of service um, with all of their clinical skills. I know that a lot of people feel like, number one, they could be making a bigger impact with their services. And number two, I know that a lot of people are really um, you know, they they like what they're doing. They're helping kids. It's great. But there's always these limitations placed on us as far as the autonomy we have and the way that we provide services, the freedom that we have, the impact that we can make. And, you know, I, I, wa I just wanted to say that if you are feeling that where it's like, this is great, but I, I kind of want more. I want to know more that I can do, whether it is something that is on top of what you're currently doing, whether it means transitioning out to a new position. Um, you know, I think that is once you get comfortable and competent in one situation, um, and, and even if you are still working through some things in your situation, it's, it's very normal to think about what is the next step, especially if you're an ambitious person, person especially if you're very um, mission-driven and you've got a lot of ideas about things that could be done in the field with your services. Uh, so that's definitely a normal feeling. I definitely experienced that as well when I was in the school systems. I at one point thought, you know, this is great. I could stay here for the entirety of my career, maybe do some things on the side here and there. But as I went through my doctoral program, I did realize that I wanted to uh, at some point make a career transition. And so obviously that's what I did. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the typical, the way that I handled my support for clinicians based on the stages that I went through, the stages that a lot of people have gone through. And obviously in this group, we have primarily speech language pathologists. Um, we might have a couple other literacy interventionists in here. I know we've got some SLPAs, but this is really true for a lot of the clinical fields. And so what happens with a lot of people is that when you first start practicing, your primary focus is what am I doing in therapy? What am I doing when I have a group of kids in front of me? What are my therapy strategies? And so that's why in Language Therapy Advanced Foundations, I picked one of the areas where people get a ton of questions. Uh, people aren't really sure what the protocol should be. It's taken up a lot of their time. If there is an area for pediatric SLPs that seems to be their kind of Achilles heel, more often than not, it is language. Obviously, there are unique cases. Some people love it, but... There are so many questions about it because it, it ends up being such a huge part of your caseload. And also it is just very complex. There's so much to it. There's not one standard protocol. That's why I focus so much 
on that in language therapy advanced foundations, because one of the ways that you can feel comfortable in your position, that you can feel confident, that you can feel empowered in what you're doing is really having a handle on what you do in therapy. I think for a brand new clinician who's starting out, that's trying to just get their feet under them, this makes sense as a good place to start. What am I actually doing in therapy? Um, and I actually remember when I was in my, when I was first starting my doctorate, one of my my professors even said that as well. She was very much about using different service delivery models, you know, co-teaching if it was appropriate, uh, doing different group sessions, doing consults. She was definitely a big proponent for integrated service delivery across practitioners, collaborating, working together, using different service delivery models aside from just the pull-out traditional medical model. But she did say it does make sense for a new clinician. It's okay for you to feel like I just need to figure out this one model for now. And so that's why in Language Therapy Advanced Foundations, one of the primary things that I want you to do is feel comfortable in that model of what am I actually doing in therapy um, and, and feel really good about that. Because many times if you can figure out the language component, it's a little bit easier to, to create protocols for some of the other things that you're treating. And then once you have go-to protocols for all the different things that you're treating, it really frees up a lot of time and mental energy, and you can feel confident in what you're doing. And what else it can do is that what a lot of people realize, and this is why we do get a lot of questions about uh, some collaboration pieces in this community, is that a lot of times people, once they, they're like, okay, now I know what I'm doing, and then they start to realize that, wow, I really can't just do this alone with direct therapy. I need to collaborate with some other professionals because maybe I can't get to everything in 30 minutes. I do show you a method in here that is something that is feasible for you to cycle through in 30 to 40 minutes. But of course, it's always going to be better if you can get other people involved, if you can work with special ed teachers and reading specialists and you know social workers and general education teachers and really get other people involved to, to kind of take what you know they could you could be working on and see if you can consult with other people so that they can address some of those other elements. And that might mean that you take this framework that I've taught you in here and you think to yourself, okay, I know that I'm qualified to be delivering all these specific things. I can do all these interventions. They're all within my scope, but just because they're within my scope doesn't mean that I'm the only person that can address them. And that might mean that you're working with a team of people and there are some things that a, a teacher is addressing that you could be addressing, but you're not because you want to focus on something else and because you know that the teacher is doing a pretty good job addressing it. So, you know, how specifically that might look for this particular framework is that you might be, you know, diving into things like morphology and semantics and teaching kids word learning strategies that are building metacognition and executive functioning and self-talk that are going to help build strategies for reading, decoding, spelling, um, independent word learning. You're, that's a lot of what we, what we do in here. But you know that kids also need to learn some strategies for some more high-level comprehension, paragraph comprehension, which is something that you could do, which is something that I show you how to cycle through in this program. But also, 
a teacher could do that as well. And so if you know that a teacher is working on that, you might just cycle through it a little bit, but you know, because you know that it's being addressed somewhere, you don't have to address it in as much depth. And so what I aim to do for this framework is, is not just have you think about being the one that's actually implementing it, but also taking this knowledge and spreading it to other people. And so really, once you get to that point where you have your, your feet under, you, you know what you're doing, you know what strategies kids need, that's where you can kind of transcend to this next level of your practice. And, uh, you know, you, you have your therapist hat or you're working one-on-one with kids, but you can also think of yourself as not just a therapist, but a leader, someone who can lead others in doing um, in, in changing their practices in um, and you can train them in certain strategies that can facilitate whatever it is that you're working on in therapy. This isn't just doesn't just apply to speech pathologists. Other professionals can use this concept as well, where you're you're competent in what you do in therapy. But you know that kids need this support across setting and settings in whatever you're doing. So you've got to figure out you know how to train. How to uh, how to provide that scaffolding and support service delivery design. So what you're doing is you're planning for service delivery. You're not just planning for therapy. So what that means is that instead of asking yourself the question, "What should I be doing in therapy?" you ask yourself the question from a bigger picture: What does this child need, and how do I make sure that they get it? And so when you do that, what you're doing is you're thinking about everything that that child needs first. You're thinking about all the different models that you can use in order to make sure that they get that, um, whether it is consult and training of other people, whether it's creating materials that are going to uh, help the child apply strategies, whether it's tools that help them do that, whether it's tools for other people to use to support that child across settings, or whether it be things that you actually use for your direct therapy. The point being is that in order for you to make good decisions about what you're doing in therapy, you have to start with the service delivery design. You start with the big picture of what's happening because when you do that, it actually makes you make better decisions about your therapy because you're thinking about what you're doing within within the context of what everybody else is doing for that child. And within the context of all the supports that they have and the supports that they need. And what this does is that it allows you to just be that much more focused because you're not overlapping and working on something that somebody else is doing already and neglecting some other things. It really can help you to make better decisions because for one kid, it might look a little different because maybe you know that they have different supports in place. They have different needs. And then for another child, you might apply the same framework, the same therapy protocol differently because you know that maybe they're getting parts of it somewhere else. You know that maybe they they have a different level of support. So so that's why I err on the side when I actually do teach specific clinical strategies like I do in Language Therapy Advanced Foundations. I err, err on the side of it being more of a framework that has some flexibility so that we can think about it from a bigger picture and make it individualized. And here's the interesting thing. So obviously, you know, a a lot of you in here might, maybe you're in a position where you really like it, you intend on staying there, 
Um, but maybe you are thinking, you know, is there something else out there for me? Like, is there something I could be doing on the side to make a bigger impact? Maybe you want to earn more income. Maybe you are interested in a leadership position. Um, you know, there's a lot of different career paths that you can take. And I think that it can be somewhat limiting to try to just look at what people typically do, what you see on the job boards. Many times we can kind of create this unique situation that's that's unique to us, the way that we want to work, our community, our family situation, where we want to live, who we want to serve, how we want to do it. There's so many different ways that we can think about this. And so a lot of people, once they get to this point where they feel pretty good in their therapy, they feel pretty good in um, you know, just collaborating with other people, and they're thinking about service delivery design from a broader perspective, and maybe in their current position, they start doing some different consults and trainings. Um, maybe they're exploring some different things. They realize that, you know what, um, I actually like some of these things. Um, maybe I am interested in doing something else with my skills, because a lot of these things that I'm mentioning under service delivery design they're actually things that you could be doing in a leadership role. And yes, as a clinician, now you can just start doing them and get experience with them, see if you like them, use them to build your resume and also serve your caseload at a higher level now and help them get better results. But also you can use this as a chance to experiment with different types of, of service and see what you like, see what you're good at, um, and use this as sort of a what I like to refer to as a series of uh, micro experiments that can help you to figure out what your next career path is. What I did when I was in the schools is that I did a lot of projects that were kind of above and beyond what I was doing as an SLP because I was interested in administration. So I would, you know, try to get meetings with the school psychologist and some of the administrators to see what needed to be done as far as developing evaluation protocols, response intervention and curricular protocols. So things that could fall in line with more of a, you know, curriculum director, special ed coordinator, special ed director, that's kind of the direction that I was interested in going. And so I always looked for opportunities to do additional projects there because number one, I knew it would help the kids that I was already serving. And also because I wanted to see if it was something that I liked and I wanted to build up my my experience. So, you know, if I did find a position, I could have some things that I could use to to sell while I why I was qualified for it. So a lot of people, you know, you might you might just start to think about service delivery design and just realize, you know, you really enjoy doing those little extra projects. You want to stay where you are. But a lot of people use this as a chance to explore what their next career move is. And so that's why this is one of the first pillars in the the program that I teach. And that's that's how I think about this. Yes, I do think it is really important to get competent in your your discipline first, which is what I help SLPs do in language therapy advanced foundations. But I also think that once you once you get to that point, you can transcend to a next level of service. So the other question that I get when I mentioned that I was doing you know all these extra projects, I was working on my doctorate while I was working in the school systems, and so that meant that I had to do a lot of extra work on top of my full time caseload, which meant I had to learn how to be really efficient. So one of the first things that I would help people do in one of my other pillars for success is mastering productivity. 
I know that productivity can be kind of a dirty word in the clinical sphere because a lot of times facilities will have really ridiculous productivity requirements. And so that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is just figuring out ways to leverage your time so that you can be more efficient in the way that you plan for therapy and so that you can free up time and resources so that you can think about doing these micro experiments that number one, make a bigger impact on your caseload now, help you explore different things that you that you might enjoy doing both now and in the future if you want to explore the next stage of your career. And then also things that you can use to get experience that you can you can use to sell yourself further down the line because you've had those experiences. But in order to make time for that, we have to learn how to prioritize them. So that's why one of the other pillars is that I teach you my whole productivity system that I used to do this. So I'm not talking about how you have to have 90% productivity or whatever. I'm just talking about better leveraging your time. And the way that I do that is that I, I think about things and along the lines of, of you building assets. So assets can be can mean skills protocols, relationships, anything that you do that you can invest time up and possibly money up front to learn or create in order to get you back time and results in the long run. And so one of your greatest assets is having a good productivity system. So that's one of the first assets that I would would recommend in these stages of leadership and in these stages of really building your career as a clinician. Um, And then the final two pillars are leadership and reform. So this means that obviously you do have to, there are a lot of, a whole lot of different topics and conversations to be discussed in the area of leadership and reform. Really, you know, again, that comes down to building assets surrounding relationships and understanding how to utilize skills beyond just, you know, clinical knowledge. You obviously need to know what you're doing and your discipline, but you also need to know how to work as a team and work with people, know how to sell yourself. Um, and, and there's other transferable skills that you might have, research and analysis, um, handling difficult conversations in meetings, uh, engaging a group. There might be other skills that are important for you to develop on top of clinical skills. So all of those things are that, that category is going to be um, ever-changing and continually evolving with, with discussions in the, in the program. And then finally, evidence-based practices. Obviously, you need a good protocol and a good decision-making process for how you evaluate evidence and information. And there might be times when, when you do need to consider you know, actual evidence-based practices related to your discipline. So because the School of Clinical Leadership is something that is designed to help multi, multiple clinical areas, multiple disciplines, what I have done and where I've started it is that I have a big suite on executive functioning. Um, obviously, everybody, you know, OT, social work, psych, SLP, um, you know, you could, you could list a bunch of other disciplines there. I list those four because those are the most common, but Obviously, um, if I didn't if I didn't mention what you are, uh, you're included in there as well. If you're a specialized service provider um, providing supports for kids, reading specialist, music therapist, counselor, um, you know there are a number of different specialists. Anyways, um, the reason that I focus on executive functioning is because even though everybody has their specific 
area where that's that's kind of their niche. There is a lot of overlap in scope. And one of the places that has the most overlap in scope because it is something that applies to everything is executive functioning because this is sort of this broad umbrella area that really everybody needs to know how to apply to their specific discipline. Obviously, as a speech pathologist, I know that many speech pathologists address this directly as their area of specialization because of the relationship between executive functioning and language. But I know that there are other disciplines like, you know, social workers and psychologists that that also address executive functioning because it's embedded into everything. Uh, I know OTs, you know, when I talk about executive functioning online, I've had OTs reach out to me and say, you know, I, I feel like we really need to be thinking about this as well, because they're thinking about sensory, they're thinking about, you know, functional living and activities that requires a lot of sequencing and planning and internal directed talk, all of those things. And so that's why executive functioning is a big area that I do address directly, even though a lot of this program is going to be more focused on high level strategies and leadership rather than tactical clinical things um, like like in language therapy advanced foundations. But like I said, I am going to be having different guest speakers on different topics and things like that. Um, This is and and I felt that executive functioning was one area that I needed to address because I think it's something that everybody really needs to integrate into their practice. I think that it's an area where all clinicians need to, if it's not being done in their setting, just, you know, take a step up and, and be that leader that is going to integrate that into, into their setting. You know, whether you're a social worker, whether you're the school psychologist, whether you are the... Um, the speech pathologist, whether you are a private practice clinician in the community and you know that you have a lot of students in your caseload that don't get the support that they need at school and maybe the schools need some additional trainings that that you could offer to help them to get more support at school. Um, This, you know, I think a lot, everybody needs this this information if you're supporting kids. Um, So I do have a whole suite on that in the program. Uh, but that is going to be something that's evolving and changing. So, so where again, where I see things like language therapy advance and other specific training that has to do with you know your your discipline, specific tactical information about how you how you are performing in therapy. Obviously, that's always going to be something that you're you're going to be want to continually sharpening and revisiting as a clinician. But these other things are so important as well for your level of impact, your autonomy, and especially if you just feel like you love what you do, but you know that you could be doing more, you feel like the traditional career path just doesn't quite fit your needs, uh, how you want to serve, how you think that kids need to be served so that there's a bigger impact on them. you know, a lot of those systemic issues, many times you can have more flexibility if you learn how to um, think of yourself as a leader. So one of the things um, before I before I wrap up, one of the things that is going to be worked into the program as well is the self-discovery process that, and it's a specific guided exercise that I am going to guide people through to help them to figure out their skills, their assets, their their talents, their preferences, how they want to work, who they want to serve, 
um, who they want to work with from a client standpoint, from a coworker standpoint, even down to the format and the setting that they want to work in. And, um, you know, whether they want to do a combination of things or focus on one thing. Um, and then finally, what their mission is. What is something that is that thing that that it's the hill that they want to die on? Uh, all of those things are important. And if you just focus on what you think is available to you and you don't focus on your talents and your skills and what you really want, a lot of times you miss opportunities for the way that you serve. So I use a self-discovery process, consider the options out there and help you to think of yourself as a leader and design a career path that really allows you to feel fulfilled and autonomous and at the same time, really make a bigger impact on the, the kids that you serve. So um, I wanted to make sure that I shared this information in this group because number one, the School of Clinical Leadership is going to be opening up in just a couple of weeks. And because I am going to be doing a free live event that is going to guide you through that initial self-discovery process that I just talked about, that's you know kind of setting the stage for all of these things that I'm discussing that will help you to map out your your talents, your skills, what you want your mission to be, and some potential possibilities for what your career path might look like. Even if you're not sure, even if you have a million ideas, even if you don't have any ideas and you just know that you you want to be doing something more or you think you might want to be doing something more and you want to figure out a way to start doing those little micro experiments to see, can I develop the the skills and the experience to launch the next stage of my career? Can I do a set of test runs to experiment with different things to see, do I even like this? Is this a direction for me? What is the next direction for me? This is how I did it when I decided that I wanted to launch my business. I tried a lot of different things. I went a lot of different directions, um, not all at the same time, but I did a series of experiments and really explored things to figure out exactly how I wanted to serve in a way that would, would allow me to make the impact that I wanted and that also was aligned with my strengths. So I want to share this process with you. So the free event is going to be guiding you through the initial stages of that process. So you can start mapping those things out and then you know, everybody who goes through that is going to get an invite to, to join the School of Clinical Leadership where we'll continue that process. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening today. Um, I will share a link in the comments to that free live event where I'm going to be going through that self-discovery process. The free live event is called the Clinical Leadership Roundtable. That's where you're going to go through the self-discovery and mapping out those micro experiments and starting that initial brainstorming. And then the actual program that's going to help you to take it, take it to the next level if you're interested in continuing to learn more is that School of Clinical Leadership. And so that is the, the new program that I'm launching. So I will include all that information in the comments. And thank you so much, everybody, for listening. wrap up, I wanted to remind you again that you can join me in the Clinical Leadership Roundtable at drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash leadership roundtable. 
If you are a pediatric clinician and you enjoy your job, but at the same time you feel like you could be doing more and you want to feel more empowered and autonomous in your practice, but aren't sure how to make it happen, then definitely join us. In the roundtable, you'll go through a series of exercises designed to help you craft your career path based on your unique skills, talents, and preferences. So if you're wondering, you know, what if I don't feel aligned and fulfilled with the typical career path for clinicians, or if you know you want to do more for your caseload and your career, but you're not sure what you want to do, or maybe you have a million things in your head and you just can't prioritize. If you want to plan your next career move without having to take a huge risk, then definitely join us in the Clinical Leadership Roundtable. Your dream career can start now. I'll walk you through the process in the roundtable. Again, to sign up and go through this three-stage process to map out the next stage of your career, just go to drkarendudakbrandon.com backslash leadership roundtable. Thank you again for listening. Remember, if you found this episode useful, definitely share it with your friends and colleagues. And remember to leave us a rating on the podcast directory of your choice. It always helps us to get this information into the ears of people who need it. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com backslash BE.